0: Good morning. Before we get into the heart of today's message, I'd like to remind us just a little bit of sort of where we've been in this series. We started off with an overview where we saw that new covenant salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We saw that this truth was taught by Jesus and the apostles, and that they used the Old Testament scriptures as their proof text, just like in the text from Acts that uh, was just read. We then saw that this was true for Adam as we observed God's demonstration of the gospel when he covers Adam and Eve with the skins of animals, modeling for them that their sin covering must come by the blood of one who was slain. We saw the next generation bear this out as Abel kept flocks. He's going to duplicate this sacrifice of atonement while at the same time we saw Cain rejected as he offers the works of his hands in an attempt to gain merit. Next, in the life of Abraham, we saw faith reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. And we saw James confirm in the New Testament that it was Abraham's faith that was reckoned or accounted or credited as righteousness. Then we looked at the story of Joshua and we saw the pre-incarnate Christ inform Joshua That the captain of the Lord's host would provide the victory over Jericho. That Israel would find their their victory, their deliverance, their salvation in the works of this redeemer, this captain of the Lord's host, and not in their own efforts. Then in the story of Ruth, we saw an unclean foreign woman call on the God of her adopted people. We saw her redeemed by the kinsman redeemer, when the law would not and could not redeem her. Then we saw this woman that many would scorn, grafted into the nation of Israel and become the great grandmother of King David and an ancestor of our Lord himself. Then we looked at Queen Esther, who was called on to intercede for her people at the risk of her life. We saw her under a sort of a death sentence for three days as she does for her people what they cannot do for themselves. Then we visited with Job. We saw Job confess that I know my Redeemer lives. We saw Job bear witness that he believed that after his death, that he in the flesh would see his Redeemer face to face. And then the last time we were together, we looked at Mephibosheth, and in Mephibosheth we saw an unclean, meritless man saved through a covenant, a covenant. By another who had died, of which he is an undeserving beneficiary. In each of these examples, we see that Old Testament salvation is the same as new. The salvation was always and only by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in an anointed one, a Messiah, a Christ that was promised to come, but always coming back to the grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The only difference. Between the Old Testament and the New is the perspective. We look back to what those Old Testament saints looked forward to. But when did the change take place? I will suggest to you this morning that the New Testament is in part still the Old Testament. Remember that Testament means covenant. And then ask yourself when did the covenant change? As you consider that, you can turn your Bibles to the second chapter of Luke, or you can check out the text on the screen. I guess it's coming. Yeah. Um, In the second chapter of Luke, we find an often overlooked, yet, at least to me, a fascinating character named Simeon. This story often gets little attention. He seems to be such a minor character Worth only a passing mention by many of those who teach through the Gospel of Luke? I mean, let's face it, Jesus is passive in the story of Simeon. So many teachers will sort of skip over this because John the Baptist is in chapter 3 and right after that you've got miracles and all the good stuff. But for me, this story was an inspiration. About 25 years ago, as I was reading through the Bible in a daily reading schedule, something about this story grabbed my attention. It's probably the first time that I began to see a deeper meaning in a passage of Scripture on my own without having somebody preach a sermon or teach a Sunday school class on it. God used this story to help me see more clearly the parallels in the doctrine of salvation between the Old Testament and the New. I saw a continuity that I hadn't seen before. Now the story is found in the pages of the New Testament, but it is in part An Old Testament story. And I say that because it takes place before the new covenant is inaugurated. Christ's ministry won't start for 30 years, and the atonement on the cross is some 33 years in the future. Although the new covenant is at hand, Simeon lives under the old covenant. He's trusting God's promise for a future Messiah, he's waiting for this future Messiah. The story takes place about 40 days after the birth of our Savior. Mary and Joseph, in keeping with the law, bring the infant Jesus to be presented at the temple. We find the story in our text from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. And again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. Before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and assigned to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Please pray with me. Father, visit with us this morning, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds to your word. Write your word on our hearts as we look at this story of one of your saints, an old covenant saint living at the advent of the new covenant. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. So our story opens, Mary and Joseph arriving at the temple, and they meet Simeon. Now the text says that he was just and devout. Depending on what version you use, the word might have been translated as righteous, but the Greek word is de chaos, the same word that Peter uses in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 18, where we read, for Christ died for sins, once for all the just for the unjust. It's the same word there, just. Paul uses the noun form of that word, chaosis, in his teaching on the doctrine of justification in Romans 4, verse 25, where we read... He was delivered up because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. Both Peter and Paul use that term in a technical matter. They're talking about this transactional justification where Christ exchanges his righteousness and takes on our sin. Luke is using the term much the same way. He's calling Simeon just or he's right with God. Now, often we think of that as a New Testament term, but here we see it applied to an Old Testament saint. In addition to being just, the text also says that Simeon was devout. So in addition to being right with God, he's trying to live a a life that's honoring to God. When you think about a devout man today, you likely think of someone who is a man of prayer, a man or a woman of worship, uh, a man or a woman who spends a lot of time in God's Word. Well, in that day it would have been the same. Simeon was the type of man that a Christian should aspire to be. He's a man who is right with God and a man who is diligently trying to live a godly life. Then our text goes on to say that Simeon is looking or waiting for something. He's looking for the consolation of Israel. Now, if you're a real old-timer and you look at a King James Version, you'll see that Consolation of Israel is, the word consolation is, it's capitalized. So it indicates that that would be a title for a person. In some versions, like the one that I'm using, it's, it's a lowercase one, which sort of seems to imply an event. So which is it? Does Simeon await a person or an event? I would answer Yes. He does await an event. He awaits the fulfillment of the promise, but he also awaits a person. He awaits the coming of the Messiah. So he's a man who's right with God, who's devout, and who's waiting for the coming of Messiah. Scripture then gives us another little tidbit. We learn that the Holy Spirit is on Simeon. It means he's in communion with God. He's got a personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And through Simeon's relationship with the Spirit, it's been revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That means the, the, the Messiah, the anointed one. So he is really set apart from everybody else. He's set apart by God and he, set apart by grace. And he's marked out that he, is going, that he gets this personal message from God that he would actually see the Christ. So that tells him... Yeah, that the time is coming soon, Uh, doesn't say how old he is, but we sort of can imply that he's an old guy, he's been there a while. So what's the difference between Simeon's message of Christ coming soon, the message he got from God, and the message that we have of Christ's second coming? Well, we know Christ is coming back. It could be today, it could be long after we're all living in heaven, we don't really know the time. But this first coming was revealed to Simeon in such a way that he knows it's going to come in his lifetime. And who is it that's coming? What's this Messiah going to be? Well, in those days, many Jews were expecting a military Messiah, somebody on the order of a Joshua or a Gideon, who would win victories on the battlefield. But Simeon was not led to join the military. He didn't join the army. There were people in Israel that had withdrawn from society to wait for this Messiah to come rather than living in the community of Israelites. They sought holiness by living apart in seclusion. The most well-known of of those sects was the Essenes. But Simeon was not led by the Spirit to join the Essenes or any other such group. It's also interesting to note that there's no record of Jesus ever visiting the Essenes or any other reclusive group. Other Israelites expected a political messiah they wanted a return to israel 's glory days as a nation, great and powerful nation. They wanted a messiah that would restore the Davidic kingdom and, the, and bring the rebirth of israel 's former glory to get rid of the Romans. But Simeon was not drawn by the spirit to herod 's court to wait for a political king rather. Simeon is led by the Spirit to the temple. He expects God's Christ, this Messiah, to appear at God's house. That's where any studied Old Testament saint would expect the Messiah. Jesus himself at age 12 said, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? We should note that Jesus said that in such a way that leads us to believe that he expected his earthly father, Joseph, to have known this. So Simeon's at the temple waiting for a spiritual Savior, a Savior that would come as a priest for the people. He expects an intercessor that would come through the religious institutions that had been established by God. The people of Israel, they wanted deliverance from a Roman oppression. They wanted a military or political king. But I believe that Simeon knew that what Israel needed deliverance from was Not political or military oppression, but from their sin. Simeon has faith that God will provide an intercessor who's going to deliver Israel from the oppression of sin. So Mary and Joseph arrive at the temple with the baby Jesus. And the text tells us that Simeon took him into his arms and blessed God. So he takes this child from its mother and holds him in his arms. I mean, talk about a picture Simeon is literally grasping or holding on to or clinging to the incarnate promise, the incarnate word of God. The blood is not yet shed, the physical atonement is not complete, yet, Simeon is still holding on to the promise of God. He's holding on to Christ for his salvation. It's going to be some 30 years before Jesus says it is finished, but Simeon knows that it's as good as done. It's a promise that is yet to be fulfilled, yet he knows the fulfillment is at hand. The text said that he blesses God or that he praises God. Basically, he is so overcome that he begins to sing. And that song is recorded for us uh, in our text from verses 29 to 32. He says, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Look at the first line of the Song of Simeon. He sings both a prayer and a praise to God. He refers to himself as the bondservant, as the slave of the Lord. But then he says the most startling thing. He says, let me depart in peace. So he's saying that He's ready to die. He's ready to go to heaven. What he doesn't say is, sign me up to be a disciple or give me orders to march in your army. Now, he knows what Christ's purpose is. He knows his Old Testament scriptures and the promises that are there. So why is he ready to die? Why does he not feel the need to wait for Christ to finish making payment for his sins? It's because he knows that the promise is as good... Prior to Christ's atoning work on the cross, as it will be afterwards, he is ready to die because he knows that the completed work of this Messiah is what's going to save him. And he knows he doesn't have to wait for it. That's what it means when he says that he can depart in peace. He's at peace with God. He has no fear of death. In fact, he almost seems to welcome it, for he knows what awaits him, the glory of eternity in the very presence of God. That's the gospel. It's the Old Testament gospel, and it's also the New Testament gospel. They're one and the same. And then he sings, my eyes have seen thy salvation. He knows that the one he sees in front of him is salvation incarnate. He believes the promises, and he's an eyewitness to the first appearing of the promised one. He is standing on the promises of God. He's trusting in Christ alone. And he knows that the promise is as certain and effective for believers in the Old Testament as we know it to be for believers in the New Testament. Of course, to Simeon, there's only one testament, one covenant. The New Covenant is inaugurated at the Lord's Supper, but it's going to be the biggest part of a century before the New Testament's going to be written down, before it'll be complete. But it does not matter to this devout man who knows his scriptures because there's nothing that the New Testament will reveal of which he has insufficient knowledge. doesn't matter to Simeon which side of the cross he's on. Salvation is the same before the cross as it is after the cross. He may be holding the Savior in his arms, but he is resting in the arms of his Savior. Jesus' work is not complete, but it is completely effective. God's promises—they're different than ours. We make promises, but sometimes we don't keep them. We might forget, we might be unfaithful, or circumstance may prevent us keeping a promise. That's just us. But what about God? Does God ever forget? Is God ever unfaithful? Can circumstance ever prevent God from keeping a promise? Not a chance. God always keeps his promises. Simeon, a devout man who knows God's word, who knows the promises, and who trusts in those promises. In fact, the last words of verse 29 are, according to thy word. He trusts this Christ, this Messiah, because God's word, the Old Testament, tells him to. Old Testament texts, like Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, where we read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Or the one that you hear in almost every Christmas program. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. But again, Simeon knows the scripture. He knows the promises. He trusts in the salvation that God's prepared that he now holds in his arms. He sings of some of the widespread effects that are going to be encompassed in this salvation. In Luke, he says, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. See, the gospel is going to be greater in scope than most of the Jews imagine. Simeon knows that this word is going to go out to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Again, he knows the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe he recalls Isaiah's writings in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Or how about Isaiah 49 6, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Simeon knows these scriptures. He knows what this child will do. In fact, the last line of his song is a paraphrase of Isaiah 49 6. Isaiah writes, And nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising, while Simeon sings, A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon knows that this salvation will be effective for Gentile believers just as it is for Jews. He also knows that this Savior will be the glory of Israel. He knows that Israel's glory is going to be found in spiritual redemption, not in some political or military victory. He knows that Israel's glory is found in God. You think about it Israel didn't part the Red Sea, God did that. Israel didn't knock down the walls of Jericho, God did that also. Israel's glory is in God. And in God's Messiah. After Simeon finishes his song, Mary and Joseph express amazement. Even though they know the story, they sort of thought it was a secret. Not only that, they're in Jerusalem, not at home at Nazareth. Yet a stranger comes up to them and sings these words. Simeon's actually taking the role of a prophet. He proclaims God's word to Mary and Joseph as it had been revealed to him. He tells Mary that, behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. What's he mean by that statement? Well, he's saying that salvation is going to be found only in this child, and that condemnation will be the fate of any who do not trust him. In his ministry, Jesus is going to echo the, the rise part of that statement when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. 25. But he also echoes the fall part of that statement when he says, no one comes to the Father but through me, John 14, 6. Simeon understands this because he knows God's word. He knows this through his Old Testament scripture, just like the rest of Israel should have known. We get to the end of the passage, Simeon has some final words for Mary that are hard. He tells her that a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The warning that a sword would pierce Mary's soul. It's a warning that Mary will suffer the anguish of seeing her son rejected by the people and executed as a common criminal. Mary's going to have to be strong. She's going to suffer Greatly. Simeon is speaking to her as God's prophet, preparing her for what lies ahead. And what a burden for a mother to carry, to bear a child, to nurture and raise that child, all the while knowing that that child is destined for the cross. It's both fearsome and wonderful. Fearsome in that she's going to suffer a mother's anguish of seeing her son die before her eyes. Wonderful. In knowing that not only is she honored by God to be the earthly mother of Jesus, but to know that Jesus will provide her own salvation. The roles will reverse. Instead of the parent protecting the child, the child will protect the parent. There's a wonderful contemporary Christian song with lyrics written by Mark Lowry titled, Mary Did You Know. How many people know that song? All right, there's a line in that song that asks Mary if she knows that the child that she delivered will soon deliver her. Mark Lowry nails it with that song. It's a great song with great lyrics. I love it. I think Simeon would have loved it too. story of Simeon is just a couple short verses in Luke. But what a story. Simeon, an Old Testament saint, born under the law, a student of the Old Testament. But he sees the real message of the Old Testament. And through the eyes of Simeon, we see that the New Testament is nothing new, it's all within the pages of the old. Simeon is saved only because by grace, God the Holy Spirit has revealed himself to him. He is saved by God's grace, by grace alone. He's also saved through faith. He's saving, saved by trusting in the yet unfulfilled promise of God. But his faith is strong. He is so certain of his salvation that he is ready to die 30 years before the payment is made for his sin. That is a saving faith. He's ready to die because that faith, that complete trust in the promise of the atonement is centered on this child, on who this child is, and on what this child will do. He doesn't wait. He doesn't need to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. He is saved through faith, faith alone. But the faith that saves is not a faith in works or sacrifice or obedience. Simeon has faith in this child. He trusts in the forgiveness of his of his sins by the future atoning work of this child. This child whom he knows is God's anointed Messiah. That's who his faith is in. His faith is in the Christ appointed by God. Christ alone. The promised atonement is as as effective for Old Testament saints as the historical atonement is for New Testament believers. Simeon was actually born again in Christ before Christ was even born. The Old Covenant is a promise from Almighty God that He would provide a Messiah, that the Messiah would shed His blood in atonement for the sins of God's people, and all who trust in the promise would be saved. The New Covenant is a covenant in the shed blood of Christ, it's a finished work, it's no longer a promise of a future event, Christ's work on the cross is finished and all who trust in that finished work will be saved. Christ ties the two covenants together. He's born under the old covenant. He's circumcised under the old covenant. He keeps the law of the old covenant. But he's also baptized into the new covenant. He proclaims the new covenant at the Last Supper. And he ushers it in the next day when he pours out his blood. Both covenants are built on the same rock. The essence of both are the same and always have been. Only the perspective has changed. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the atonement. We look back at it. God's plan of redemption for His people is still valid. It's as valid for you and me as it was for Abraham or Job or Joshua. It's as valid for you and me as it was for Simeon. God's plan hasn't changed because God does not change. In the last book of the Old Testament, God says in Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we just pause and thank you for the gift of Christ. We thank you for your revelation of him through the scriptures of both the Old and the New Testament. And we pray that we would always live in your word, that we might know it better day by day, and that you might reveal yourself more to us day by day. And we ask this in Christ's name.